Yeah. Guys on tour, they're unique, they're good. You know why? Because they're competitive. They know how to compete with what they got every day. Let's go! Let's go! And welcome back. Welcome aboard another Park Train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. If you guys are new, welcome aboard the Park Train. If your golf game's off the rails, if you're sick of riding that struggle bus, you have come to the right place. We help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We unpack the mental game with anyone from a PGA Tour pro to a sports psychologist like today with Brett McCabe, and not just any sports psychologist, by the way. Guess who he works with? John Rahm. Heard of him? Masters champ? We'll get to it. Everyday golfers like you and me and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. This episode of The Par Train is presented by our friends, Roback Activewear, and they just dropped gym shorts. Yep, you heard it. Springtime, you got to get yourself in shape. And actually, here's a little pro tip. Best way to get yourself in shape if you've been off the rails for a little bit is get yourself new workout gear. You'll be excited to wear it. It'll get you back on track. So go to roback.com, enter the code TRAIN, get 15% off. They got gym shorts, and they just dropped women's skorts. So if you are a woman listening to this show, or if you got a lady in your life, get her one of those crossover skorts, good for golf, tennis, anything active, you name it, and gym shorts. But also it's spring, so polos, whatever you need to do. Roback.com, enter the code TRAIN, get 15% off. Thank you to those guys and gals at Roback for always supporting us. It means the world. Okay. Brett McCabe, I think he might be our first four-time guest. He's been on the train now four times, and he's one of the best in the game. One of my favorite sports psychologists in the game, coaches many guys in the PJ Tour as well as you know the Alabama sports program, football team, you name it. And what I love about Brett is he's no BS. He will tell you to accept that something you're in is hard, that something you're in has nerves, that something you're in means a lot. And what better example to talk about than his guy, John Rahm, playing at the Masters. What happened when he hit his ball left into the trees on 18 with a four-shot lead, and he's on the tee box hitting provisional? What's going through his head there? We talk about it. What does John do in his mental game that you and me can do in our mental games? We talk about that. I thought this was a really special opportunity. I reached out to Brett on very short notice, and I said, hey, it just occurred to me, how fun would it be for our listeners to get you on to talk purely about John Rahm for 30 minutes. That's all he had. So we had to do it quick. We jumped in right away so that you guys could take his amazing performance from the Masters and plug it into your game. So that's the goal for today's episode. I know you're going to absolutely love it. One of my favorites in a while. So if this adds value, which I know it will, do us a solid. Give us a review at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's all we ask. No matter what you're playing for, whether it's not the Masters, but maybe a club championship, a weekend Nassau, or just wanting to hit a shot for yourself, want to impress yourself, just enjoy the ride out there. Thanks, guys, as always, for hopping aboard. It means the world. Give us a follow at the Park Train, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok so we can keep your game on track in between podcasts. Love you guys. Appreciate it. All right, Brett, I think you might be one of the first four-time passengers on the train. Brett McCabe, one of our favorite sports psychologists, in the game welcome aboard the train for the fourth time my friend thank you i don't know if this is a uh am i, am I on the repeating bus am i on remedial am i am having to repeat the class i'm not sure exactly what's I think, going on here i think you're in business class at this point business class. 
Yeah. And one thing I know about being on a train with a little time when I was up doing my internship interviews up in up in the Northeast before I went to Brown. I remember taking a train from Boston to New York and I real I learned very quickly you don't look people in the eyes that are walking by you. Mm. That's mm. different than what you do in the South. But I'm gonna look in y'all's eyes. We appreciate that. <laughs> well, true. I know we only got 30 minutes. So just for our listeners out there, we're probably gonna dive in a little bit quicker than what we do normally. But we're really excited to get you on because I think you know, a lot of people can probably learn from one of your guys, John Rahm and things you guys work on. And so, but first I wanted to talk about this idea we talked about on our last podcast. And I love when you talk about this, it's, it's this fact of acceptance that you can't tell a soldier they're in North Carolina when they're in Iraq, right? Right. So telling yourself that this is just any other tournament, i.e. I'm talking about the master's, doesn't work because your body knows it's not your body knows it's the masters. But I wanted to talk about the balance though, of not making it bigger than it needs to be. So what's that balance of accepting that I'm nervous, accepting that I'm in the biggest stage, but also not needing to make winning the masters bigger than it needs to be still focusing on what I need to do. Well, look, I think what you're talking about is important. One of the messages I sent with my guys this week was when we went to the College World Series my freshman year in 1991, my coach sent out a message to the team and pulled us together and said, listen, they're going to have vendors there. They're going to have people there. They're going to have you know dinners we have to go to. And when you look at the other teams, the other teams are going to be taking videos. They're going to have all their families around. They're going to be changing the way that they do stuff. And, and some of them are going to do more. All right. We're going to do less. And we know it's a big moment. We can't take away the fact that we're competing for a national title. And so what I told this player was like, listen, when you get there on Sunday, go go enjoy the moment. Take in the moments, take in the experiences, take in the series of going to the pro shop, going to the merch tent, uh, the chaos of that, doing all those things, right? Then after that, you look around and you realize, first of all, the prep has already been done. Like, what more do I need to prep? So what happens is players start trying to do more. They start trying to bring in more information. They practice way too much. Jordan Spieth talked about being mentally fatigued going into the event. And something you don't realize till afterwards. I think Rory was a perfect example of bringing in way too much information, way too many voices before he played. And, you know, John is somebody, you know, to your, to kind of loop that back in. John is one of those guys that I do very little with because he knows what he's doing. <laughs> you know, he doesn't need a lot. Like I'll walk up to his caddy or whatever. Is we good? Yeah, we're good, man. He knows you're here if you need you. And we have one little thing that we would talk about. He has a guy he works with back home in Spain too. So I do a lot of stuff on life with him because I just kind of feel like that's a good role to be in and to help him in that spot. But when you go into the masters, everything is elevated on noise. Okay. That's why people at home go, I can't play the same way in practice as I do in a club event because every noise gets louder. The thoughts get louder. You move differently. Your decisions get more you know, thoughtful versus just like, well, here, I'm going to hit this up there. So that's what you have to resist when you go to those big events is not getting caught up in the drama of the event. It's there. But then what you have to say is, okay, let me do a little bit less here. Let me do less. Let, let's be honest. Let, let's look at the Masters for a minute. Maybe not this year because of the weather, but the finishing score is not as tough as some of the other events on tour, right? And and the people who play really well there are very creative. They're not about precision. They're not about clubs and positions. They're not about hitting it perfect. There, there's things that are going to happen during the course of that. So the more acceptance you can be and the more flowy you can be, the better you're going to be. 
I guess it is valid to say I'm going to treat the Masters like any other events from a routine standpoint. I call it the Augusta Invitational. Now it's over. It's called the Masters. But going into it is the Augusta Invitational. Because honestly, there's only 84 players in the field. 30 of them probably aren't going to be able to compete just by statistics. Okay, whether they're former past champs whose game needs a lot of lightning to hit or players are off. Okay, there's seven amateurs. So we had one amateur make the cut. So really amateurs are irrelevant. And, and so I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's it's like, look, you go to a 135 person field on the PGA Tour, 100 can win. 100 can win. I mean, you take a look at the RBC as we're filming this right now. I mean, at the top of the leaderboard, you have Mark Hubbard, Justin Rose, Jimmy Walker, Aaron Rye, Tommy Fleetwood, Victor Hovland, Hayden Buckley. You got some studs up there. You also have some guys that are very, very studly at what they do on the professional tours, but they're not up there every week. Okay. So when it comes to the Masters, the noise means more. That's part of the challenge. But, and when you say for Rom, and I, I'm maybe even coaching other players, we're going to do less this week. But it's important probably to, for our listeners, like just because you're doing less doesn't mean you're any less focused. You're just trying to strip away what you can, but you know, still be on top of things, right? Well, let's go to what's the most important things we need to do, right? You know, the the fight that people have is I need to go and make sure that I'm dialed in on the the my swing. My swing feels really good before I leave. And, and my point is, if you've done the work leading up into this week, what you feel on Tuesday and Wednesday is just kind of noise. If you if you have a status of what you do, you have the same drills that you do every day, okay? What we forget, and and this is important, I think, for anybody who's out there who's playing golf is. Because I, I get this conversation all the time. You do not need to be dependent upon the way you swing the club in order to score. Because we can measure it in teaching, we often teach to it. But it's not always right. We don't teach competitiveness. That's a good point. We don't teach – John has, makes a double bogey on the first hole with a four putt. And one of the things I told a colleague of mine sitting there, I said, he's like a prize fighter that just got punched. Watch out. Okay? <laughs> I know John. I know how he thinks. I mean, he's Spaniard. People used to tell – you know, the rhetoric for him was his emotions are out of control and all this. I was like, we're not listening to that BS. Mm-hmm. We're doing who we are. You are Spaniard. We're going to, as maturity happened, he kind of dialed it down a little bit. Wow. We didn't have to spend much energy on that. Mm. So I was very loud in his camp on that point. And as a result, here he is coming down the stretch. You think anybody was going to beat him coming on that back nine? No chance. You could see it in his eyes, right? No chance. So we didn't do more. We did less. Like, what does he need to do? Does he need to make sure his club's in the right position to go play? No. John Rahm is the number one player in the world for a reason. Go play golf. He knows how to play golf. Be a competitor. His his coach in college, Tim Mickelson, who's now the caddy for his brother, Phil, told me a story years ago when I – first time I ever really spent a lot of time with him was at Aaron Hills at the U.S. Open. I had been working with him, but we spent some time and dinner, and, and we were sitting all there talking, and I asked Tim, and I said – how did you know? He said, man, one of the very first practices we had at Arizona State, he got in trouble for breaking the stand bag, his stand bag. And I said, I looked at John and said, what would you do, miss a chip? He goes, no, my teammate didn't get the ball up and down on the side of the green. I was pissed. And it, it, didn't, it had nothing to do with him. It was an inner squad. It was a qualifying round. Yeah. But he felt like the dude just kind of mailed it in. All right? And so Tim was like, I wouldn't give him a bag for like X amount of time. Because I didn't want him to lose. And I'm like, but that's really cool. Like in baseball, when I played, man, we used to punch walls. We used to, I mean, our our water fountain in the dugout had steel bars around it. Because I'd rather you just 
boom, it's out. Now go. Now don't do anything to break your hand or make a fun of the game or you know drop f bombs or somebody in the neighborhood of the golf course comes out and says, "Please calm it down." But you get my point, right? Yeah. Simplify it. Process oriented. Focus on what's important. But you're also letting him be who he is. He's a fiery, competitive individual. That's one of his DNA. biggest strengths, right? His DNA. Yeah. One of the questions yeah. I ask all my young players is, what do your parents do for a living? And the reason for that is I want to know what they do. Like if both of their parents are surgeons or engineers, they're going to probably genetically think a certain way. If dad is an interior designer and architect and mom is a you know legal specialist, and then I say, what kind of law? And they're like, writing contracts and i'm like okay that's creativity right they're gonna probably be a little different i mean those are the kids that are gonna show up with two socks that don't match okay and they're gonna be brilliant they're gonna move the ball around and they're gonna compete and the people who come from engineering backgrounds they're gonna want process-based approaches and stuff like that we're trying to force too many people into the same stuff right some people's process is very detailed and oriented on the way they play big events and other people I think it's fine. I mean, one of the things I tell players who aren't in pro-ams on Wednesdays, go play at another course. Get away from this golf course. Mm. Yeah. Go play. They all love to play, ultimately. Well, real quick, just for a little context, and then I want to dig in, obviously. How did you and John first happen? Like, I think our listeners might think of John Rahm and say, that guy doesn't need anything. That guy is a machine they don't realize, I mean, look at Rory this past week, like the mental game is important for all of us. What did John first approach you for? What's been the theme of your guys's work up to that? One point? thing that I would tell you is that John has a very large team. Okay. John is a searcher, but he's not a switcher. Very hmm. loyal. And, and he gave us a gift after he won the U S open. And then on the back of it, it said, whatever year it was, was it 2019 U S open champions? Not champions. That's cool. That's cool. yeah. phenomenal. That's really cool. Okay. And so he has a team around him. And I was brought into the team by his strength guy, Spencer Tatum, who's a good Louisiana guy, really affectionately in Louisiana, where I'm from, we call him Kunasses. He was a Kunas from Lafayette, Louisiana, and went played football at University of Ohio or Ohio U, whatever it's called. And then went to uh, Arizona and was, was training. And John, he came across and John came in to work with him. I remember John and I had lunch when he was still in college, but he had a guy back home. And I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, like Spencer just wanted me to talk to this dude. And then they came back around to deal with some other aspects. And you have a young man, young lady who goes, who's a rapid ascension of fame, pressure, stress. I was just there to support him and his family. I, I respect what the guy back home has done. I like to kind of earmark ourselves together. I, I want to, in the United States, sometimes European players don't, the Mary press doesn't give credit to the people who help along the way. And I think that's critical. John is who he is because of the people he's had around him his entire life. I'm just honored to be on the team. Like I said, I, I don't feel like I do a whole lot, but I'm there when they need me. Yeah, that's great. The, he had a, several interviews, obviously after the big victory, but I was watching, he was on good morning America for mm-hmm. uh, it's funny that interview, but I love this quote. Wanted you wanted to dig in this with you. There's a couple elements here, but Here's what, when they were asking about what, what was going through your head on Saturday and Sunday, you were down four with 29 holes to go. And, and he goes, the big thing for me was commitment to the shots I was picking, commitment to the swing, commitment to the number. Even if I was taking a more conservative route, still be aggressive, still have the mindset of playing good golf and making birdies. And Brett, I, I love that last part of just because I'm going to be a little more conservative to aggressive spots on this hole. 
but I still want to make birdie because we all, I think a lot of times get into this trap of, okay, this is a tough hole. I'm going to be more conservative. I'm just going to try to make par if you're a good player. And then maybe if you're more of a middle handicapper, you're like, well, this is probably a bogey hole where John's like, no, 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 no. I am still being this monster. Even if I'm picking safer lines. Yeah. Talk about this. Well, one of the things I do statistically, and I mean, look, the, he, he sums it up beautifully, right. Is, you know, I never want, and I didn't want for him going into the weekend to be emotions to link between shots, be emotional, move on. Let's have an intention. Let's try to keep our offense clicking. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the shot on 18, you know, he hoped it was kind of funny because I knew how nervous he was, but then that approach shot, that third shot he hit, I was like, okay, we could have carried that bunker just a tad bit more than that, please. But shot lead, I mean, look, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but he, bank, that's him. That's bank, him. Right. I mean, there's a reason why he like, I love it when I saw the tweet that he keeps his gin so that he can get the money games right with his buddies. Think about that. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. That's how competitive he is. What we don't do. All right. And so when, when I talk about pressure, pressure impacts us in four massive areas in our life. Whenever we're in competition, it impacts the way we move. That's completely unique to each of us. It impacts the way we think. More negative thoughts, more fears, more doubts, more insecurities. That is biological, evolutionary-based stuff. It impacts our decisions and our processes. So what he was talking about there was, I'm not going to allow pressure to change my intentions. Mm-hmm. I still have intention of putting the ball in position to score. You know, that's why when people are like, I couldn't, you know, I, was, I tried to play it too safe or too whatever. It's like, you got to know how that impacts you. Some people get more aggressive. Some people get less aggressive. John historically would get more aggressive. Okay. But he's done a really nice job in his caddy. Adam Hayes is just phenomenal of like, this is the shot we're going to hit. We're going to hit that four iron up the hill, hit it with a cut. You can hit that in your sleep. And then we're going to go to the next stage. The last thing is it impacts our grittiness. Right. And so Mm -hmm. people, a lot of times players or parents will call me and say, it looks like my kid quit out there. Like no kid quits. I've only had that in a couple of times. They may mail it in because they're, it's like your phone that you have to reboot because it's stuck on app. It's 4,000 operations running in behind the scenes. Okay. But for somebody like John, who's competing and, and being able to come to that determination, Speed said something in the interviews afterwards. He said about 50% of the shots I hit this week, I didn't have a target in mind. Mm-hmm. People were like, how could you do that? That's pressure. That's fatigue. That's what this is all about. Mm, one of the top very revealing. In the world. Yeah. He, he, that's what he said, right? And and we know that he and you know Michael are out there talking about everything. I love that dialogue. But yet when he was stepping into the ball, now what you have to understand is there's a neurocognitive component to this that how our brain processes information. So if I said, look outside your window and then look back down, you have this flashbulb moment of short-term memory that remembers where things are, all right. Tom Brady knows where everybody is without them, without him having to stare at him. But when our mind is clouded with information and stress, that imprinting gets thrown out the window. So that's why negative thoughts bombard because that certainty of intention is gone. So one of the things I tell all my players is when you're in the big moments, verbalize your shots, say it out loud, communicate it clearly. Don't be in a hurry to F up. Stay back there. Don't be communicating while you're moving. Your feet have to be set on the ground to communicate it. Too many people, as they get mulling, it's like, and they're walking in, hey, I'm going to hit this eight iron down the left side. It's like, no, man, that's, as a fat guy, you take Hershey syrup and you put it in vanilla ice cream, you'll never get it back to vanilla ice cream again. Okay. Make sure it's very, very clear. Like, I want my cobbler in one bowl. I want my ice cream in another bowl. I don't mix them for a reason. That's what I want people to look at. 
Can we yeah. talk about 18 for a second? Because I yeah. think every amateur can relate to, you know, the moment, you know what you have to do. And now you're on the tee hitting a provisional thinking I've got a four shot lead. I'm not going to blow this. Could I like this? Oh, I'm sure I was going through his mind. Have you guys talked about his process to go back? No, to hit I that cut? I, honestly, I've only texted with him, but I, look, I know he's got a, a navigator with him. I, I think caddies are navigators. Okay. My dad was a navigator in the air force for 20 years. I, I see caddies like navigators. The pilot is ultimately the one that's going to put the plane where it needs to be, but the navigator is going to tell him what's out there. Adam did a really good job of slowing him down. He got a good break. The ball kicked out. Sam, one of my other clients yeah. on after the second and going into end of the third round made triple on 18 with something very similar and it kicked left instead of kicking right. Okay. That's the difference between a top 10 week and a 40th week. You got to have a certain amount of luck. Both were probably rushing there. That's a very narrow shoot. Uh, I mean, it's yes. TV shows it a little bit. There's some of the other holes out there that are much larger than that. They look on TV, seven, 18 tough driving holes. Um, but you know, what he did is a great job as he slowed down and realized, okay, I just made the mistake. Let's not compound the mistake and let's hit a club. I know, you know, if he was one up, he wouldn't have made that swing. I think his focus, it was like Scotty Shuffler four putting last year. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, the mind is at that point knows it's flooded in itself. It's, it's competing. I mean, th this is the tough stuff. So look, I like to describe a golf course, like the old show wipeout. You had 18 holes. 18 different opportunities for that to throw a trap door on you. Do not rest until it's over. And that's why the mental, the players mentally are so exhausted after big events. Guys, I want to take a second to reflect on one piece of equipment that we all play the golf ball. Now, I don't know if you're one of those people that's always played a pro V or you switched around and, and whatever, but one thing that's kind of blown me away is I think I play a golf ball that not enough people know about. And just to be perfectly clear, I've been playing this golf ball for years before they started partnering with us. Years. That's actually why this partnership happened is because I reached out to TaylorMade and I said, hey, more people need to know about the Tour Response golf ball. I think we could do something together. I think we could help our listeners out. And so here's my little tip to you. The Tour Response golf balls are $42.99. The TP5X are 50 bucks, right? So you might say, yeah, it's only eight bucks, whatever. Hey, savings is savings. And I have pretty much always played better with the Tour Response Golf Ball than the TP5. So the way that I like to judge my golf ball is on approach shots, does it stop where I hit it? So if I have 145 in, is my golf ball right next to my ball mark? Or did it spin back 10 feet, right? Or did it jump forward? I like when the ball stops exactly where I hit it because to me, that's what distance control is all about. I know the ball is going to go the distance that I'm planning if I hit it solid, right? And the tour response is the ball that I've played forever. And that's what the, what the tour response does for me. So whether you play a TP5, Pro V1, I highly recommend play the tour response ball. The tour response stripe is actually their most popular ball. I didn't know how it would do because it's got a big stripe across the middle, but it's actually like really, really nice to putt with. You can see if you can keep the stripe straight, it's actually great to practice with too. So 
go to TaylorMadeGolf.com. I'll put the links in our show notes and our link in our bio at the Par Train on Instagram. But get yourself some tour response balls, or they've got a buy three dozen, get one free promo right now for TP5X. If you do want the tour level ball and want to pay a little bit more, they've got that promo going as well. So DM us on Instagram. Let us know what ball you play. Let's get the golf ball conversation going. Let's get you guys back on track. Thanks, guys. So it sounds like it's normal for all of us in those moments to maybe rush so that we don't even digest the moment. We 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 rush to try and get it over with. Um, but you also don't want to stand over the ball abnormally long either. So I guess the point is, is you stick to your routine. You don't change your intention. If you watch guys that are the best in the world, right? Okay. And, and there's a lot of talk about slow play. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk about, um, especially this masters, hundred percent. Right yep. And you know, a lot of people talking about, Hey, listen, if you take the, the Masters, nobody's going to slow play penalty. You, they've only had one slow play penalty in the history of the game at the masters. And it was a, a young amateur, right? They could have slow played Sam Bennett. They could, I mean, it's almost unfair there. The winds are swirling. The difficulties are there. You're playing for a, something very important. We're not playing at the XYZ in, in, invitational. Okay. You've got swirling winds and you're trying to land it on the backside of an elephant or on a green. Okay. I think slow play at that place. We just need to back off a little bit. Like let these guys play their game. They will police it themselves in the locker room every time. So we as fans just need to step away. So, but the point is that when somebody makes a mistake, we get, it's like getting punched, right? When we get punched, if, if you were watching a fight, somebody gets punched, the natural tendency is to throw back harder. You're not clear of mind. Okay. You're not clear. Instead, what you're doing is you're now throwing because your back's against the wall. You're frustrated and you're, you're better off just to sustain the storm. So part of that is if somebody makes a mistake and hits it in the, in the crap, it's like, slow down. You watch the best players in the world. They'll slow down. They'll slow. They will drop anchor trying. They'll read the putt from four different areas. What they're trying to do is not consciously slow their heartbeat, but they're just allowing the moment to slow with them. What we do when we go play, it's like there's a group behind us in the fairway. I got to hurry up. Let's go. Let's go. I'm in, uh, following to the same damn thing, man. I mean, it, it's that's where a little bit of theirs is different. I mean, you know, like young kids that play on the AJGAs or whatever, man, as soon as they hold out, they're moving to the next tee. So Pace of play is so important, but I think you just have to understand is like, don't be in a hurry to F up more. Yeah. Well, Brett, it's fascinating to watch that final group between John and Brooks known as fast fast players, players. right? And they're sort of, and they're going through the routine and everybody's trying to figure out what routine works for them. Always. We're always working on routines, but there's something about those two, you know, being the players that they are. And we all kind of want to get there to have that faster routine, but they're not rushing. They're not talk about that a little bit. Maybe the strength. There's a fluidity in the routine. I know there's a lot of people who would say like when tiger played, you could measure down to the tenths of a second. Look, there are some days I put on a pair of shorts and they're tight. And some days they're loose. I don't know why. Okay. Some days we move in space differently than other spaces. What I want to do is have, listen, I want to have high intention of the shot. I want to hit in the process that lets me see it. That's the funnel of focus that I talk about, right? That our mind has to go from a wide funnel to a narrow funnel over the ball. Like that. We're worried about speed. We're worried about anger. We're worried about um, stuff like that. So the funnel is awareness and acceptance at the first level. That's the filter. 
Once that comes in, it brings in a strategy. What do I want to do here? And that strategy is then visualized usually by verbalization to the point of execution where it's the tightest. Okay. Unfortunately, most of us play the opposite way. We play with our funnel instead of being wide to narrow, narrow to wide, which is up here to filter the lack of acceptance or awareness. You know, sees a negative, sees a problem. It's like, oh my God, don't do that. Then the strategy becomes how not to do that, which then when you get over the ball, you got 14 thoughts in your head about got to take the club back, got to get it set, got to get it rerouted, got to get the club face square, got to hold my pose, got to make sure my rhythm is good, got to count to 14. Good funnel starts by just kind of being like, look, take a deep breath. All right, now what do I want to do? All my players on tour are fast. They're also all emotional, right? <laughs> and I always love the rhetoric of psychologists or make our sports psychologists, mental coaches are making the players play slower. I'm like, well, not my guys. Because also a 64 is a hell of a lot faster than a 74. So, mm-hmm. you know, my guys are winning. I don't really care. And and that's my, my goal is to find their personality. Billy Ho is a very fast player. He gets over the ball. He slows down a little bit. That's fine. Who am I going to tell him? I mean, he's working his process. He's, I would like to have his seven victories. <laughs> you know, he's sure. won some of the biggest stages in the world. He, it's his personality. Burnsy's very quick. You know, other guys like that. So, you know, Patton, Kazire, one of my guys, he's a little slower on the greens. You ever seen him putt? He will steal your wallet on the putting green without you even knowing it. The dude is insane. So if he wants to take time to read a putt, go for it because that putt's going in and he's going to go and take his hand out of the hole while you're doing all your other work. Okay. He's standing on the side. I mean, the dude's insane. Look, what's our intention? Let's get our funnel upright. Let's be high accepting. Let's have a good awareness of what's going on. I'm four under. Okay, cool. Okay. What's my strategy? I still want to hit this club down the left side with a little bit of a cut. See, now, if, as I'm saying it, I'm visualizing it. Now mm. let's step in and rip it. And what will happen is very few things pop in at that point. I don't know if you know this, because it, it was probably, I, th- I think I remember his college days, he started to swing the way he swings now that you see on tour. Was that ever a challenge for him to accept his unconventional looking swing? Who's that? Who, uh... John? No, because if you've seen the work that Dave Phillips has done with him from TPI, he said there's some great videos on the TPI feeds right now about because he's very connected. John's been with TPI for a long time. Dave's been his American-based coach and really only swing coach. And Dave is wonderful when it comes to how the body moves. He said people are going to try to get you to change the way you swing. Ignore every single one of them. Yeah. Uh, one of my good buddies, Mark Blackburn, who teaches, he'll say, look, all I really care about is how the club is delivered six inches before and six inches after the ball. And everybody moves differently. Let's start embracing the people and the uniqueness of who they are, not what we think they should be. Yep. And what can, I love that. I literally just had a lesson yesterday with Jake Thurm, who I know you know, and it blew my mind. He told me based on my, my patterns, I'm a cut guy with the driver. And I've been trying because I like the way it looks to hit draws my entire life. And (laughs) that going against my pattern is probably the, the source of a lot of my challenges. And you probably thought as a player hitting a draw with a driver, it was a sign of better ball control and better path and better players draw. That's probably what you grew up learning. Yeah. And hearing. Like balls in the center, how they get there. You know, let's John hit a 35 yard cut on 14. Right. Let's not forget that. Well, yeah. 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 And then the tee shot on 13, the draw, I mean, being able to, I mean, that was getting back to that aggressive mindset, but this is the shot I need to hit. 
Yep. I'm, and he and he did it right, and then he goes and hits a. But that's your point, Brett, of not the, letting the, the pressure one. change your intention. No. Right. No. Thirteen's a perfect example of that. Okay. Anybody could hit a three wood easy, right, and just hit something, bunted it out there, and no, like. <laughs> There's an old comedian bit of a guy who's standing in line behind a bunch of people at McDonald's and people get up to the order and they're like, uh, he goes, the menu hasn't changed in 20 years. How do you not know what the hell you want? That is so true <laughs> in golf. It's like, uh, I don't know what to do. It's like, okay, look, <laughs> be who you are Hit it. Like I know I've got a super strong grip. I like my feet close together. I like the ball close to me. Okay. We all need to go play golf sometime. I'm yeah. six or seven down with the driver. Okay. I'm six foot five. I've got one bad hip. I've got one that's been replaced. Like I can move a golf ball. I can play. I go see my boy Blackburn. He's like, I'm not going to change your grip. You just got to remember this is the one mistake that you're going to make. So just be careful. If you, if you pull that left foot back just a tad bit, get it closer to you, you're never going to make that mistake. What do I do over time? I start spreading out my feet. Cause I, you know, we we're on, we were playing a practice round of a member guest one time and I was smashed. I was hitting the ball so well. A guy in a group that joined us for the practice and looks at me and goes, you know, I used to teach golf for about 20 years. He said, have you ever thought about, you know, you really hit it far for your age at 50 and, and uh, you never thought about like widening your stance and get further. And I, I, I play with my father-in-law. My father-in-law's like, idiot. Like, don't listen to that. <laughs> like, like there's a reason why I move the way I move. Okay. But I, you know, it, like be us, like everybody just like be us. The yeah. Guys on tour, they're unique. They're good. You know why? Because they're competitive. They know how to compete with what they got every day mm. and they compete with their B minus game. You know, they, well, they know what that's all about. And if there's anything in the middle game, I can help people understand is like, learn to compete with what you have. You'll have the better chance of success than trying to be something you think you should be. If you're a fast talker, fast mover, fast talker, you're probably gonna think fast over the ball. So getting you to do two deep breaths, close your eyes, visualize and breathe through your eyelids ain't going to help. Okay. You know, Jason Day is very thoughtful, very process oriented. So it works for him. You know, mm. everybody be, be the equivalent of your own psychological fingerprint. I got an important question for you guys. Are you tired of opening your bag to a crusty, crumpled up, basically made out of paper, hard golf glove? Are you? Are you wearing the same glove that literally crackles? As you open it up and put it on and it feels like sandpaper, are you using the same glove over and over? Yeah, I, 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 I've been there. Okay. I've done it myself. The one thing that we haven't really talked about though, in regards to gloves is a glove compartment. I once heard this stat. I don't know if it's fully true, but putting a glove back in its case actually prolongs the life of a glove. Keeping it flat and dry is actually a great way to save money. And keep your glove fresh so that every time you tee it up, guess what's up against the, the grip of the club? Guess what produces the feel of every shot? It's your hands. And what do you put on your hand? A glove. So I would highly recommend the glove compartment that Red Rooster sells. It is a pretty sweet looking glove compartment. They got different colors. It clips on the outside of your bag if you want it to. You can put it in your bag too. But the cool thing about putting it on outside your bag with the little clip is it's got a Velcro spot. So you could stick the Velcro part of your glove up against it and kind of leave it there while you go to the green. And when you're done playing, you throw that baby in there flat, you zip it up and boom, it keeps your gloves flat, dry and ready to use at any time. And even has some additional storage for a rangefinder, phone, wallet, keys, you name it. 
they got it. So go to redroostergolf.com, enter the code TRAIN20, and get yourself a glove compartment to finally take care of the glove so that it lasts longer and you spend less money. I mean, that's a pretty good deal, right? You have better feel on shots, better golf, and you save money. It's like I'm giving you some crazy gift, but it's just a glove compartment. So take advantage of it. Go to redroostergolf.com, enter the code TRAIN20, and get yourself a new glove that you deserve, and get yourself a glove compartment. Let's get back to the show. I always love taking, like, we after every major, we try and recap the things that we see the best players do that the average amateur can take into their game, right? And to obviously, we can't hit the ball like John Rahm. But there might be some things that he has in his process or that's key to him that anyone could benefit from. What do you think that would be for John? John, John's John. John is John Rom. Be John let John Rom be John Rom. I need to be Brett McCabe. I can learn from what they do. You know, I know pros don't compound mistakes very often. Okay. Yeah. You know, John, you know, most got most of the people who had done what he had done the equivalent on 18 would have gotten up there and ripped three wood. He laid up to a yardage. Don't be a Superman. If you really believe in your ability, you don't need to press. Brett, you know what I think is another amazing takeaway just from this episode, what you said earlier, it was about Augusta, right? You can still play and compete and win if you're not perfect, right? No, you don't need to be perfect. But I think that's, you know, maybe for every course or for the the common player is just like, hey, if you're feeling it today, you're going to be unbelievable. To that point, I was walking the fairways at a pro-am in Scottsdale, and we had a pitcher who was a, a guy who won a Cy Young, and being a former college pitcher, I asked him, I said, he goes, what's the biggest difference between players here and golfers and baseball? And I said, when, you, when you're driving to the ballpark, do you think today's going to be a no-hitter day? <laughs> I said, okay, then stop thinking today's going to be your low round too. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea how it's going to be when I play tomorrow morning with my boys. Don't know. Right. Don't know. But I you do know just, I'm going to yeah. go compete. I do know that I'm going to be, you know, I haven't played in two weeks. I haven't hit balls in two weeks. So I'm going to go out and play and enjoy the hell out of myself and try to win some money. That's what I'm going to try to go do. Yeah. I think it's huge. Yeah. Serve to me. Everything that I do, man. I got to get, I got to hit this appointment, but I love Okay. All right. Thank you, Brett. Yeah. Uh, BrettMcCabe.com with an H yep. and uh, at Dr. Brett McCabe. Thank you as always for hopping board. We appreciate it, Brett. Dude, I love it, man. Great keep up the you, good work and keep bringing the awareness to the mental game. And uh, the best. Maybe you need you guys to come join me one night on Middle Live. It's my live stream service. Yeah. That I do on YouTube. Y'all need to join. Absolutely. Question and answer. Be amazing. Place for people who have question and answers on their game. So love it. Yeah. Do sure. on Sunday night, 7 p.m. Central Time on YouTube. All right, guys, check it out. Thank you, Brett. Yeah, man. So real quick, I think because it's such a quick episode. Let's do a quick reflection real quick because I didn't get a chance to do it with Brett. To me, Serm, I think the takeaway is kind of similar to our theme for 2023. If you think about it, I think what Brett is saying is it's all about stripping away. It's all about embracing what you have. It's all about sticking to your plan and meeting like your intention, right? I loved how what what pressure does, it does not change intention, right? So his club choice on 18 is a perfect example of that after hitting his provisional. And so if you think about it, Serm, I think all of our issues from the mental side is usually changing things, 
switching things when things aren't working. He said, John's a searcher, not a switcher. That was a big light bulb moment for me. He doesn't compound mistakes. So he doesn't try and change his approach or become a hero after making a mistake. He's not trying to be like anybody else. He's competing. He's embracing that. Yes, there's pressure here, but that's going to eliminate a lot of people out of this. I don't need to let it eliminate me because I'm going to compete and I can still play conservative and make birdies. Do you see how all of those things is like stripping away the noise and really doubling down on what I do, what you do? Yeah. And I think the conservative for a lot of our listeners, you can still make par when you have yeah. that really tough, difficult hole. That's that right. Creates pressure on yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not going to change your intention. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. I loved his four. That, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. How would you sum up John Rahm's mental game? I mean, we didn't get to dig in too much, but I think what Brett, I'll let you answer. What did you think was the main takeaway of his work with, with John Rahm? He keeps things really simple, right? Yeah. He's less information, more information. He doesn't always need to be belaboring or reflecting or thinking about what could have went right, what could have went wrong. He just seems to kind of move on, embrace his personality, embrace his game, his, his strengths. And I think if he gets off kilter, he'll check in with he'll check in with his team. But for the most part, he knows there's going to be good days. There's knows there's going to be bad days, and he's the most competitive guy out there. Yeah. That's going to embrace, you know, his, his creativity, his ability to get it done no matter what. And he didn't even, they didn't even consciously work on the temper thing. We were going to ask about this, but Brett addressed it early where we didn't need to, where he's like, he didn't even want to touch that because that's who he is. And right. with maturity that takes care of itself. And he had a connection to his family. He said, I'm going to do it for my kids. Done. Yeah. And I loved how we talked about too with Rom and Brooks kind of being we can all be a little more assertive, you know, and it'll be a little, maybe play a little bit faster. Yeah. You know, you know what? I, I'll end on this term. I think it's really fascinating about how, you know, he talked about Jason day and I've met Jason day. It's true. He's like really, really thoughtful. There's a reason why him and tiger are friends. Process he loves oriented. getting like yeah. really deep into things. He's really thoughtful. So doing the eyes closed thing and like that mindful moment really works for him. Yeah. But what he said makes me realize if I reflect on my own process for a second, I'm not technical in anything that I do, right? I'm very much a creator. I'm creative. I'm intuitive, instinctual. And that's why removing the noise in swing mechanics for me allows me to just go out and remove as much tension as possible. Like that is that should be the goal for me. So finding something that I can just, I don't need to think about it. It's a sensory field. I start, I have lightness at the top and then I, I fire, I rip it, right? That is big for me because that allows my intuitive, creative nature. And that's why I have so much fun when I play like that, because I get into the zone because I'm creating. Well, right. I'm taking things as they come and I'm, I'm reacting. What can you relate to, especially with your game right now, to Ram on 18? I was nervous and I got quick. So I hit a pull hook. Yeah. He wasn't thinking I choked. Or I'm going to blow this. Or something crept into my swing. Well, Brett said he probably did think that for a second, but that's but human. What well, do you come yeah. back to? It's what it's then how you get to that next shot. 
So that then provision, I'm not right? going to act like I know how John Rom thinks, but I bet you from working with Brett, he probably thought, I can't believe I might blow this. Okay. Right. Put that aside. Oh, what did I do there? I got quick because I tried to rush through the moment. Right. All right. Let's anchor. I've hit a thousand power fades. Let's hit another and let's go finish this thing. Right. right. For you, it's offense. Like, after those couple bad shots, well, I've got to, I got to find my swing. I got to, you know, I'm not doing the right move. Right. You're just thinking really, really simple. Someone's going to listen to this and say, this is me. Ready? How many times <laughs> have you probably haven't done this, but I've done this thousands of times. How many times have I really struggled because the pressure got me quick and I lost the lightness in my transition. And I thought, oh no, I have to search every feel I've ever had to find something that works in this moment. Yep. I've done it thousands of times and it's by far the worst thing you could do. John Rahm searches to get better, but he does not switch. Yeah. I thought that, well, yeah. And to just put a bow on that, when we played yesterday on the fourth hole, that was the tight hole. I think this is a real breakthrough for you. It's a really tight hole, tough part four over the bunker. You pushed it, right? You didn't hit the fairway and you just kind of like, you know what? I think you realized that was a tough drive. <laughs> you know, I did, you know, maybe got a little quick mm -hmm. and that's it. And I pushed it. Okay. Instead of, well, what the hell happened there? Right. It's just like, it's a tough, it's a tough drive. I hit made a great swing and didn't hit the fairway a little left. Wasn't it was that so a tight. big difference where before just, I used to like, have you look and be like, what did you see there? What's going on there? Right. Cause I was in like yeah. switch mode, but right. now so I've just, got enough confidence in what I'm doing that I'm just right. going to be me. I don't care if it goes inside. I can still work on something. Yeah. I can and still the, work on making the, the face right. a little square when I practice, but when I play, let's go smash them. Right. And moments and holes and tee shots and approaches are going to get to us and just realizing that's golf. It's full of bad shots. Right. Learn how to respond better next time. You know. <laughs> yeah. And the so, last thing I want our listeners to leave with, I, I've told some guys that I coach this, I think there's a level of comfort and confidence in knowing that when you go to an event, let's say a member guest, right? Our biggest pressure moments as amateurs, people are going to remove themselves from the competition because they're going to change what they do. And the pressure is going to make everything louder to Brett's point, right? I want people to use this show as a way to remind yourself that you don't need to be one. Of, you're not going to be one of the ones that removes themselves from the competition because you know what the pressure is going to do and you know what works for you and you're going to lean into your process and you're just going to do that all day long. You're never going to mail it in. And while everybody else is worrying about the outcome, getting in their own way, speeding up, changing the routine, changing swing thoughts, you're going to know what you do and you're going to do that. And I think that's really freeing and comforting. You can almost feel the, the energy and the air coming out of that. Right. Right. We're going to have good rounds. We're going to have bad rounds. That's how it is. We're going to, but being able to stripping it down a little bit, knowing what's happening, knowing how to respond, you're going to turn those, what you think are bad rounds into pretty okay rounds, yeah. you know, because yeah. you're not going to be compounding mistakes. And that's what John Rahm is so good at not doing one yeah. after another. And that's, that's kind of the key to golf. Yeah. So, great Love stuff. It. Well, super excited to get Brett on, on such quick notice for you guys, but He's I thought, you know, we thought it'd be great to, so, I mean, how awesome is it to talk to John Rahm, sports psychologist, right? Oh. Right after he wins the Masters. So hopefully, Rahm, hopefully you Horschel, guys got a lot. Burns. He just, you know, he just burns it, you know, yeah. desire, you know, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. He's got a.
quite a stable of thoroughbreds. That's for sure. <laughs> so thank you guys as always for hopping aboard. I'm sure you got some value from this episode with Dr. Brett McCabe. So definitely check out his YouTube show. He live streams. Uh, we might join. That would be fun. As always, since it added value, because I know it did, throw us a review at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It means a lot. It's all we ask. Give us a follow at The Par Train on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok so you can keep your mental game strong and keep that game on track in between podcasts. So thank you guys as always. What do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Hey guys, this is Evan. Real quick before you hop off the train, I got something for you. It's called The Train of Thought. It's our new email newsletter. Would you like to get one nugget, insight, or thought that we're pondering every week that could help keep you sharp and help your mental game? Go to thepartrain.com and subscribe to the Train of Thought newsletter today. It's really the best way to enjoy the ride. See you guys.